broadcasted live. Hey, who wants to have some fun? There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this, this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. All right, hi again, everybody, and welcome to the show. And welcome to the podcast. I am Dan Scott, and we have got a good one lined up for you today. We're going to get the band back together. And I I guess, first of all, I need to do some explaining. Why did I say welcome to the show and welcome to the podcast? Well, since the uh, beginning of September, we've been doing the Dan Scott Show uh, here on WZLA in Abbeville. And prior to that, I had been doing a podcast called Grumpy Old Broadcasters, well, we are just basically going to merge the two. If you're listening in Abbeville, it's going to be the Dan Scott Show, and everywhere else it's going to be grumpy old broadcasters, and we're going to try to maximize our maximization. And, and you, you can take all the time you need to try to figure that out. Uh, I will tell you that from a podcast standpoint, we are presented by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They're located uh, on uh, Markley Street in the west end of downtown Greenville, just down the block from Floor Field at the west end, where hopefully we're going to have some minor league baseball in April of 2021. But uh, the pizza game is still going strong. TodaroPizza.com is the website. Of course, they have the location in uh, downtown Clemson as well. But uh, at the Markley Street location, uh, John and the folks there have, have just continued to knock it out of the park pun intended, being so close to Floor Field. And uh, the, the food is great. The atmosphere is fantastic. They have all kinds of different specials going on, lunch buffets and trivia nights. It's just incredible. They have a Facebook page. You can check them out there. They have the uh, website, as I mentioned, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. And we thank them for being the presenting sponsor of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. As is usually the case, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and that will include Dave Glenn of uh, accsports.com and theathletic.com joining us to talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference, including now a changing of the guard at the top, at least for the time being. Meanwhile, in the SEC, Alabama is doing Alabama-type things, and here a little closer to home, South Carolina, well, they're doing South Carolina-type things as well. We'll talk about all of that with our distinguished panel today when we get things started. For those of you listening on WZLA and Abbeville, we'll take a quick break and come back. The show will continue. The podcast rolls on in just a moment. All right, welcome back. We are just getting things rolling here on this uh, hybrid of the uh, Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters. So we're going we're gonna to f- kind of figure out a better way to do this as we as we move forward. But the bottom line is that uh, the, the podcast, as I was just talking with with Tom Van Hoy, and uh, we, we have a silent partner on board uh, right now, Dory. Uh, the seamstress for the band is not feeling well, so she's just listening. She's not participating today, and we expected Cobb Oxford to be here. He's not here today. He is, uh, I think, still uh, suffering from political hangover. Dory actually has COVID, so we're we're praying for her. But uh, the bottom line, Tom, is you and I are here, and I, 
No excuses, right? We That's not, right. Not, not yeah. like it would matter one way or the other. We're only going to do what yeah. we can do. Next man person up. I, I guess Dory would be the ombudsman or the proctor for what we're doing, critiquing our performance today, something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that, <laughs> to be sure. <laughs> the bar is pretty low, Dan. You know that, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I always said that, you know, you, you've got the bottom of the barrel, and then when you lift it up, what's on, you know, that's kind of where we are oh, under underneath man. the bottom. Well, uh, it's been an interesting week, to, to say the least. Um, there's been a change uh, at the top of the ACC, at least for the moment, which led to a change at the top of the national polls. And, and meanwhile, as I said in the open, the, the uh, you know Alabama at the top of the Southeastern Conference is kind of business as usual. And from a historical standpoint, what's going on at South Carolina right now is also sort of business as usual Tom. it was a very intriguing weekend of college football well you wondered how it would go with notre dame you know everything about trevor lawrence and uh, the young quarterback going in and the way things began in that game with the, the first play and a touchdown and then all of a sudden later on there's a uh, ball pops in the air notre dame gets another touchdown we saw clemson i know it was different it was at home against boston college came back you know, did a great job. Looked like they had the uh, opportunity to win it there late, you know, up by seven. A couple timeouts left uh, for Notre Dame, but then had the holding penalty on the second running play. And then uh, Travis Etienne caught one, went out of bounds. It gave Notre Dame a chance to go down and then score. And they did, and they eventually uh, won the game. So, I mean, that was a pretty good example of just, you know, hang in there, resiliency, both sides really, and move on to the next play. And, and Notre Dame was able to come away with that win. Interestingly enough, they're playing as an ACC team overall in conference play. They have an opportunity to uh, win the ACC. Now, again, I think a lot of folks think it's going to end up uh, again with Clemson and Notre Dame uh, playing in the ACC championship, and we'll we'll see how it goes there. But man, that was a that was a wild game and uh, entertaining game. But uh, Notre Dame able to come up with a big win. From a South Carolina standpoint, Tom, as we just kind of hit on the headlines before we go in depth with, with anything, uh, it just continues to be a struggle for them. And you look at the rest of their schedule, and our good friend Willie Smith, the, the former reporter for the Greenville News, I saw him tweet out earlier uh, this weekend uh, after that game was done. Is you know, legitimately, do you see another win on their schedule? There, you know, you could probably question that, but uh, the the uh, news conference from Will Muschamp yesterday with reporters uh, it basically said look nothing's going to change until we start getting better play from the quarterback position that's where he threw most of, of his concern uh in uh his sunday press conference with reporters getting better play at the qb spot well and it wasn't very good uh, eight out of 21 and uh, column hill of course came in uh, from colorado state uh, out of dorman high school and mike bobo would come in as the offensive coordinator. So somewhat of a familiar situation there. And Ryan Hiliski had come in late last year and, and played, play, played pretty effectively. And in this game, just, you know, got behind uh, 48-3. The final had only 150 total yards. Uh, running back, couldn't couldn't run the ball very well and had had that opportunity. And, you know, the passing game was not there as well. So, and then Kellen Mond just played so well for A&M. And he kind of gets lost in the shuffle in the SEC from a quarterback play standpoint. And, you know, A&M kind of creeping up there. They lost that game to Alabama, and all of a sudden, you know, they're right there as far as the AP is concerned at number five just ahead of, of Florida, a team that, uh, you know, they beat earlier this year, 41-38 in College Station. But, yeah, a tough one all the way around uh, for South Carolina, and they, they didn't generate much offense, and they couldn't get any stops on defense, and that's not a good combination. Well, let's uh, go back to Clemson for just a moment. Uh, a game in, that you referenced, Tom, they fall behind uh, first play. And yeah. it, it's an uphill battle. Uh, they're, they're trailing at halftime. But uh, just continue to fight. Uh, the, the young uh, quarterback, DJ Uyunglele, is, is proving why he had the five-star rating and what the future looks like after Trevor Lawrence leaves at the end of this year. Had a phenomenal game, throwing for over 400 yards. Clemson actually had the lead, couldn't hold it late. They lose in double overtime on the road at Notre Dame to snap that, what was it, a 37-game ACC winning streak. Um, So you got all that going on, and then you look at the laundry list of players that Clemson was without 
for that game, either for the entire game or for part of the game. And when you start looking at, at those guys and that number of guys, that in and of itself is a pretty good roster of players that uh, that did not take the field. So I think these two teams are going to meet again. I think we're going to see them in an ACC championship game. And personally, I think the outcome is going to be different. But that was a fun college football game. Yeah, that was it was an awesome game. And, and uh, Notre Dame much better than I think a couple of years ago when um, Clemson just handled them 30 to three a couple of years ago, and uh, speed was a factor in that game. I think we saw uh, two or three years ago, but you know, I think Notre Dame came to play, and, and they, they should. And I thought that they were probably a little bit better than I thought they were going to be. But I thought from uh, from Clemson's standpoint, you still wonder about how the young quarterback is going to play in that environment on the road. One thing to play at home against to Boston College. And he was really good, at, as you said, without Trevor Lawrence. And then you don't have a defensive tackle. You don't have two, two linebackers uh, as well. And one other player had to sit out uh, half. And your guys go in there and, and get it done. Took, you know, took one on the chops there early. We got the block and cut outside, went 65 yards. And all of a sudden, you're down 7 to nothing. But if you're Notre Dame, you'll look back at that and go, you know, they had the ball down there on the half-yard line. And then they had a, a, a motion penalty or a procedure penalty and eventually ended up just kicking a field goal and getting three instead of seven. And then late in the game uh, with Ian Book, their quarterback, looked like he's going to go in and had the ball stripped uh, by uh, uh, Venables, the linebacker, able to reach in there and knock it out and recover it in, in the end zone. Spectre got it at that point. So if you're, if you're Notre Dame, you're thinking, well, you, you know, we, we left some points on, on, the, on the field as well. From Clemson's standpoint, we kind of referenced it earlier to the way that it played out down the stretch – after they get the, the hold on fourth down, you think, you know, power powered up inside there, you're going to be using their timeouts. But if you look back at that and punt it in the 91-yard drive late, they didn't have to use any of those timeouts at all. Had the big play over the middle and eventually got in there to at least get it tight and get it into overtime. But, yeah, it was a entertaining, fun ball game. And I'm like you. I think we'll see these two play again. There's been a lot of talk uh, on, on social media. And you, and you can take that for what it's worth. But even prior to the game and, and watching uh, game day and some other things, there, there were some concerns that Clemson's offensive line might not be physical enough and Notre Dame's offensive line might be a little too physical for a young defensive front, especially one in that front seven missing James Skowski and, and you know, some, of the, some of the others that were hit. What, did, did you see – uh, Notre Dame with a tremendous advantage in the trenches in that game. Oh, I did. I don't know if it's tremendous, but I did see they were they were big, physical, and they were able to run the football and and, and do some things. And so I think, yeah, that I think uh, you know Clemson with with a lot of uh, players in there that are new from a year ago. But I thought that you know they kind of held their own, but they were unable to establish the running game. I mean, uh, Travis Etienne what eighteen carries for twenty eight yards. That was it. Not much available there. But, you know, conversely, you end up going 29 out of 44 for 439 yards, a couple touchdowns at the quarterback's spot. And so you were able to get some things going there, a couple of receivers uh, uh, over 100 yards in that game, too. So you kind of adjust. You'd like to be able to run the football. And that's why you look back on that, you know, that last drive, which began with, what, 212 to go, something like that uh, in the game. And, and you ended up with not much. You want to be able to run it pick up that first down, then maybe you can get out of there with a win or, or at least uh, uh, get some positive yardage there, and you ended up not being able to do much there. So I think, yeah, in that, in that regard, uh, Notre Dame was very good on both sides of the ball in the, in the trenches. Yeah, it, it uh, obviously was a big issue when they needed to run the ball, as you said, to run out the clock, win that game, and couldn't. Prior to that, though, I think you, you look at – the, the young quarterback, DJ uh, Uyunglele, and I've just learned how to pronounce that, so I'm going to say it every opportunity I get, Uyunglele. Um, and, and, you know, he, he was so hyped coming in, five-star, big physical body. He, he's, he's going to be a star. I don't think there's any question about that. And he's already playing like a star. And, and, and Tom, the, the impressive thing to me amongst everything else that went on there was just what you said. Clemson couldn't run the ball. Notre Dame made Clemson one-dimensional in that game, and yet they could not rattle this young quarterback, and he had a record-setting day 
against the Irish. Yeah, I mean that's pretty good, right, Dan? We went through the numbers a minute ago, and then and, and then we can broach the subject of uh, okay, Trevor Lawrence didn't play in that game, and boy, we all know how good uh, that young man is and what he's meant to to Clemson. I, would it have been any different if if he had had the opportunity to play? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, I don't know if the, you can get the numbers, the the game, maybe the game situations, maybe some decisions, some other things like that. But with what you were looking for out of that particular situation, you got what you wanted from your quarterback spot. So, I mean, I wonder what kind of difference it really would have made. Yeah, well, we don't know the answer to that question. What we do know is that the young man performed extremely well under those circumstances. Wasn't enough. Notre Dame got the win in double overtime. The polls are out. Clemson has fallen to number four, Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio State three, Clemson four. Then Texas A&M and Florida are, are five and six as we, as we look at that section of the polls. And Texas A&M, of course, just obliterated South Carolina this, uh, this past Saturday, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Are you buying the Aggies, though, at number five right now? Are, are, are they better than the Florida team we saw just embarrass Georgia down in Jacksonville? Well, when I saw them earlier in the year, of course, again, they're playing Alabama, and Alabama obviously very good again this year. I, I wasn't quite sure, but, you know, remember, they did beat Florida 41-38 at home. So uh, in, in that regard, yeah. you know, that, that that's a good win. I, I thought Florida would go in and, and win that game, but, what we've seen and, you know, the transformation of, of the SEC in terms of offensive football the last several years is these are the type of games that you're going to have to win. You're going to have to be able to score, and, and Texas A&M has been able to do that. I mean, they, they scored, what, 28, I think, against uh, Alabama. Now Ole Miss put, what, 48 or something on the board. But uh, they're probably uh, – and, and, again – yeah, teams get better as the season goes on. And when you got to start the way they did, have to play Alabama early on, yeah, they're pretty good. I mean, so, so's, so's Florida. I mean, obviously with Trask and the way they were able to throw the football and what they were able to do particularly early against Georgia and took that game in hand early in the first half against uh, a very good uh, Georgia team defensively. Georgia's question marks have always been on the offensive side so far this year. But, man, I mean – it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing, but there's head to head there. Texas A&M has won that one, and Alabama has knocked off Texas A&M. So we'll see. I guess how it plays out at the end, how the SEC turns out in terms of what they have in the championship game and where it goes from there. And you know, if, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, they happen to play, and Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship, and that's only Notre Dame. There's a lot of things that can go on down the stretch, and you start figuring in the Pac-12 that just started playing and some other things like that. The committee is going to have some pretty tough decisions to make, I think. This is uh, the hybrid of the Dan Scott Show and grumpy old broadcasters Dan and Tom uh, with Dave Glenn of accsports.com coming up in uh, just a bit. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit um, to South Carolina. They, they get beat 48-3, to and it's their worst loss since Will Muschamp's first year when Clemson embarrassed them. This loss comes, a 45-point loss comes in year five uh, of the Muschamp era uh, to Texas A&M, who we were just talking about a moment ago. I saw a story on uh, fitznews.com. I want to make sure I give them credit. Uh, there, there's been at, at least one report from somebody I've never heard of out there that said Will Muschamp was going to be fired today and they were working on the buyout. I don't think anybody believes that. But the question is raised, okay, what happens if they want to get rid of Will Muschamp? Check out these numbers that the, the folks at Fitz News dropped on us today. Um, the, the buyout for Muschamp at the beginning of the season was $18.6 million dollars. If he's fired after January 1st, that drops to $13.2 million. But every day prior to that adds $12,022 to that price tag. So uh, according to Fitz News' calculations, if he were fired today, it would cost South Carolina $13.8 million to buy out Will Muschamp. The school, again, these are Fitz News numbers, not mine, the school comes in uh, to the current year, $168.8 million in debt, 
an ongoing $22.5 million upgrade to Williams-Brice Stadium is, is still in the works. And revenues, because of COVID, on top of all that debt, are projected to decline by at least $58 million this year. So the conclusion by the Fitz News folks is that South Carolina can't afford to fire Will Muschamp. I mean, when you hear those numbers, I mean, how have we gotten to a point, Tom, where a coach coming into a season could have an $18.5 million buyout? I don't know. I guess you, you ask for it before you negotiate. That's a good, that's a good you, agent is what that get is. It, get it in there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough. We all know uh, in not only co- collegiate athletics, but across the board and, you know, Major League Baseball and everything else, what, what has transpired in, in terms of the monetary situations and debt and so forth. And, and I mean, it's, it's one thing to call for. It's another thing to take, sit down, look at, look at the numbers and, uh, um, you've got to bring somebody else in and, and pay, pay them pretty good, uh, chunk of money as well. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a dual purpose thing there in terms of if you do you know, go for the buyout, they've got to bring somebody in and there's more, more money on top of that. So, I mean, these are tough uh, economic times as far as uh, college uh, football, as far as the collegiate uh, athletic situation is in terms of uh, how much money they've lost and where you're going to get the revenue and, and things like that. So there, there are some people in, in high-ranking positions all across the country at the collegiate level that have to make some really, really tough tough decisions. I mean, right now you can only have a – well, I think South Carolina maybe have, what, 16,000 in, and you, you can't – and Clemson's had maybe 19 or so, so you can't yeah. can't fill it up and and all the uh, revenue that goes with that. So you're just trying to, you know, hang in there and and see if you can get through this and and uh, and and up the uh, the monetary uh, income that you do get. And and you you uh, specifically know quite a bit about this because you're a Kansas fan and. Of course, uh, Kansas is only paying three head football coaches right like now, that. right? They've actually well, that's, that number's actually gone down. I think something like that. I'm not sure they're still paying Charlie Weiss. They, they may be paying him, but I don't know. At one point, paying like three different coaches because they, they haven't since Mark Mangino left in 2008. They got the Orange Bowl and, and some things transpired. And he was replaced, and it, it hasn't gone well in the last uh, decade there. They've tried about everything, and, you know, they Les Miles is in there right now, and they haven't been very good in the last, uh, well, actually, really the last 10 or 12 years. So they keep trying to upgrade and trying to do some things, and and it's there's a lot of money uh, in, involved in paying uh, coaches their buyouts, and one, the last one had to do with a lawsuit, and uh, eventually would settle that for three million dollars or something like that, I think. So, yeah, it's it can be an ongoing process, and it you know you get yourself in a very tough monetary situation. Well, apparently that's where South Carolina is right now, and in year five of the Will Muschamp era, things are not trending in the right direction. And we'll just kind of say that and, and move on. We've got to get to a break. When we come back, uh, Dave Glenn will be joining us as we uh, will take a, a further tour around the ACC as well as uh, some of the other big names and big things going on in the world of college athletics, including getting closer to some college basketball. All that ahead is this uh, hybrid of the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters continues in just a moment. All right, we are rolling along here on this Monday and uh, a little bit of a hybrid broadcast today between uh, the Dan Scott Show on WZLA down in Abbeville and Grumpy Old Broadcasters, the podcast. And we're going to figure out how to do this uh, on a, a weekly basis and, and keep both things rolling along. Right now, though, we're going to uh, do what we do during this point of the uh, radio show every week, and that is welcome in. Our good friend Dave Glenn of ACCSports.com and uh, the Athletic Subsect, Athletic Carolinas. Been covering the ACC for 30-some years and doesn't look a day over 25. How's that? (laughs) I wish, buddy. You're a kind man. (laughs) 
Oh, no, it doesn't look a day over 25 years. <laughs> hey, I have one of those ageless wives, so it just every time I wake up and see those big bags under my eyes, I know I'm 50 plus. So it's always good to publicly compliment your wife. Yeah. All, always good to do so. Uh, got, got a little got a little golf outing coming up to uh, the great state of South Carolina, huh? Amen. Yes, uh, I mentioned to you guys earlier. You know, growing up in Pennsylvania, I remember being hit with the marketing blitz from the Myrtle Beach part of the Great Palmetto State. You know, hey, y'all have rough weather up there four or five or six months out of the year. Come on down to sunny South Carolina, be at the beach and play golf and have fun other things to do. So it was a couple of my childhood friends who actually kind of planted the seed for this. And given uh, increased availability for me personally here in the pandemic, uh, I've happily said yes so i'll be in your state from now till thursday uh before we get back get back to uh college football and and uh, not too far from now some college basketball yeah you know the irony of the whole situation is i i was just this past week uh up uh in upstate new york driving along i-90 through buffalo and niagara falls doing some some uh, delivery work that i do on the side and it was mid-60s up there yeah, that's Here. where my wife went to college, so one more connection. She went to SUNY Geneseo, which is mm-hmm. their yeah. state university system. So that turf you just described, uh, that has a connection to the Glenn family as well. Just keeps on coming. Just keeps on coming. Change at the top in the ACC, Dave. Uh, I have a hunch we're going to see these two teams again uh, in Charlotte. What do you think? I think you're right, Dan. And for those who might need to be reminded of the bigger picture, I believe Notre Dame could actually lose one of its remaining regular season games and still end up facing what we all assume will be Clemson in the ACC title game. Because I would point out both, for those who haven't seen Boston College play, which is Notre Dame's opponent's opponent this weekend, or later the Irish get Carolina on the road and Wake Forest on the road, three of the Irish's four remaining games, Syracuse being the other, they're just a train wreck this year. But the other three Irish remaining regular season opponents are dangerous football teams. And I don't mean all three will beat Notre Dame, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the three surprised and upset the fighting Irish. But the bottom line would remain, even if the Irish stumbled, they'd still make the ACC title game in all likelihood because only Miami has a chance to end as a one-loss team, really, among the other 13 teams in the league. And I don't think the Hurricanes are going to pull that off. Uh, Of course, in the bigger picture, Notre Dame losing one of these matchups, Boston College this weekend or otherwise, that would kill the Irish's college football playoff hopes in all likelihood. And that's probably the most important bottom line. You know the deal. Since the Irish beat the Tigers in South Bend, a lot of folks are wondering about the hypothetical where the Tigers at full strength get revenge in the ACC title game. Is there any road for both to make the Final Four? I think it's unlikely, but given the Irish's win this weekend in front of touchdown Jesus, it is at least a possibility if both Clemson and Notre Dame keep winning between now and the ACC title game. Tom? Yeah, I'll tell you, it was amazing performance, and, and uh, you've seen lots of games and back and forth and kind of wondered how it would go with, the, with Clemson, with the three defenders out and another missing half the game and a freshman quarterback. And is that one of the better games you've seen in a long time? Especially Tom, when you put it in context, in other words, I've seen crazy games that mattered a lot, let's say to state and Carolina fans or Duke and Carolina fans, but the nation didn't care in those contests, right? They were kind of off the radar for the typical college football fan, but mattered a lot, you know, in local grocery stores. When it comes to the biggest regular season ACC games that I have ever seen, uh, for example, I was there in 1997 when Bobby Bowden's Florida State team, ranked number three in the nation, visited Mac Brown's final and best Carolina team, which was ranked fifth in the nation. So three versus five. It was the loudest and most full I've ever seen Keenan Stadium. And it was fun and it was dramatic, but it was Florida State 20. UNC three, and you could tell even by halftime, the Tar Heels just weren't going to move the ball against an FSU defense that had, you know, probably six or seven future pros on it. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech UVA way back when they were both 
uh, special teams, 1990. Uh, this was only the fourth November matchup of undefeated ACC football teams in the history of, a, of an almost 70-year-old wow. league. So when you put it in that context, and then they deliver, you know, not the egg of two years ago when Clemson beat Notre Dame 30-3 to in the college football playoff semifinals, they deliver instead 47-40, to and all the excitement you could possibly ask for. Yes, in that context, I think it's one of the greatest regular season games in the history of ACC football. Wow. And there are others, but I don't think that's an unfair tag to put on what we saw Saturday night in South Bend. Looks like Clemson's going to be okay at quarterback after Trevor Lawrence leaves. <laughs> DJ Uyangalale. Can we, all, can we all do that now? I mean, he was special. Tom, Tom Camp, by the way. You know, from, from down 28 to 13 against Boston College. That's scary turf, man. Uh, he led that comeback, including with that 30-yard touchdown run and then some great passing plays. When you lose 47 to 40, it wasn't your quarterback's fault, right? So, uh, yeah, the Clemson defense was watered down personnel-wise. <laughs> James Skalski, to me, is like the quarterback of that defense. And he was, of course, unavailable because of injury. Uh, Clemson's going to be fine. I mean, it's got to hurt for the fan base because how long has it been? Uh, they had one of the longest regular season winning streaks in the history of college football. I mean, that's just crazy, the conversation that da the conversations, plural, that Dabo Sweeney has these Tigers in. Clemson's going to be fine. Clemson's going to be the favorite in the ACC title game. And I believe if Clemson wins out, you know, the Tigers are going to be one of those final four teams one more time. Tom? How about Liberty <laughs> and Virginia Tech and the timeout that, that uh, oh. you know, just the way that whole, whole thing transpired and the fact that they gave up one final play, they got them eight yards closer and the young man hit that 50-yard field goal. You know what's crazy, Tom, is that, you know, when you're in our line of work, and in my case just covering 15 different schools, Mid-season and later, you start getting questions from frustrated fan bases about coaches' buyouts. In other words, you know, Duke is bad under David Cutcliffe. And although he is a beloved figure, some are asking, you know, has that run its course in Durham? Or when Dave Dorn at NC State gets waxed by the Tar Heels for the second year in a row, fans will ask, hey, how many years does he have left on his contract? What's his buyout? Virginia Tech's Justin Fuente was not even on my radar as, you know, Dino Babers of Syracuse is struggling and others are. Well, after the details of what happened, and you just mentioned the timeout that, that uh, kind of canceled the, kick return, the, the uh, blocked kick return for a touchdown, but also the subsequent play where, yeah. I mean, a boneheaded defensive play call essentially invited Liberty to complete a short pass that allowed for a very makeable field goal to win the game. I thought that, even if you give Justin Fuente credit for saying, all right, it didn't work out, but you know, you're not the only guy who's ever tried to freeze a kicker on a long potential game-winning field goal. If you give Justin Fuente the benefit of the doubt on the timeout, nobody in that fan base is giving him the benefit of the doubt on the subsequent play, which essentially invited disaster, you know, for those who didn't see it, Virginia Tech dropped so many guys so deep that it would be like two of us, you know, having a catch on the beach. I mean, just toss it 10 yards, get get closer to field goal territory, and then Liberty gets the great upset. And some people forget this, but remember, Liberty is an in-state opponent. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is only one step up from, you know, Furman beating South Carolina. Furman being, of course, as Dan would know better than I, uh, the FCS power at times. Liberty jumped long ago to the FBS ranks, but you're not supposed to lose to in-state Liberty if you're the not just the head coach at Virginia Tech, but Justin Fuente has been there long enough now that he's supposed to build his program to a point where you're not losing to Liberty. Well, speaking of Furman uh, and, and Virginia Tech, last year it, it took a, a, well, let's just call it what it was. It was a replay robbery that went back and assessed a penalty after Furman had recovered an onside kick with less than two minutes ago, down 21-17 with a chance to go win that game. So it's not like he hasn't struggled in this situation before. 
Justin Fuentes came into this program with, with a lot of hype and he had a lot of early success, but is that running its course, Dave? I don't know. Uh, for example, you know, the Hokies overcame, remember early this year because of COVID, they had some games where they were missing 20 plus players mm -hmm. and yet played anyway. And they beat, for example, NC State while a watered down version of themselves. So he still deserves credit. For example, he has taken the Hokies to the ACC title game in his, you know, relatively brief tenure, I guess you'd say there. Uh, this is year five, I believe. But the Hokies are both vulnerable enough defensively to lose to Liberty as they just did, but dangerous enough offensively where they're one of the probably three most dangerous. I'd say Clemson's the most dangerous. Maybe Carolina is number two. Uh, they might be the third most dangerous offense in the ACC under Justin Fuente, who's a, 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 an offensive guy by background. The Hokies host Miami this weekend. So Miami, remember, is 6-1, and one, national top 10 in the rankings, 5-1 and one in conference play. Besides Clemson and Notre Dame, the Hurricanes are really the only team that have a direct avenue to making the ACC title game. And a lot of people think the Hokies are going to beat the Hurricanes in Blacksburg. So I think that's where the midsection or even the upper middle class, if you will, of the ACC is in football. Virginia Tech, if you did 1 through 15 power rankings, would be in the top half of the ACC in football. Uh, and so would Miami. But that, that after Clemson and Notre Dame group, I think anybody can beat anybody in that next seven or eight teams. And with that game being in Blacksburg, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they go from losing to Liberty to beating Miami. That's just mm -hmm. how it is this year. Dave Glenn of ACCSports.com and the athletic subside Athletic Carolina is joining us as we take a look around the Atlantic Coast Conference and beyond a little bit. Before we transition to some basketball stuff, Tom and I earlier were talking about the the, the new polls now. Alabama 1, Notre Dame 2, Ohio State 3, Clemson 4, then Texas A&M and Florida at 5 and 6. Are, are those the six teams who are going to be battling it out for the four college football playoff? you see anybody else sneaking in there? It's going to be interesting because, as you guys know, it's just an anomaly of a year. You know, we don't know what the precedent is for seasons where some teams are going to play 11 games and some teams are going to play seven games. So, uh, and others in between, of course. So Ohio State and Wisconsin are both legitimate contenders from the Big Ten. In all likelihood, one at most will be a Final Four team. Clemson and Notre Dame in the ACC, both candidates. But in all likelihood, I think only one of those two will make it. Alabama for sure. But you can't count out the Pac-12 entirely. You know, what if Oregon just runs the table? Uh, or somebody else. Um, and what do you do with those outside the, the Power Five leagues? BYU is 8-0. and oh. um, Cincinnati is 6-0. and oh. mm -hmm. How do you handle those teams if they just keep winning? I don't know how an 11-0 BYU compares to, like, you know, a 7-0 and oh Oregon. Or an 11, what would that be, a 10-1 or 11-1 if they win the ACC title game Clemson, if my numbers are right. We don't know. You know, the good news is most of our mid-November hypotheticals end up never mattering. You know, most of this stuff cleans itself up. Uh, but we'll, we have some pretty interesting debates awaiting us in the month of December because we're going to be trying to compare apples to apples in a different way than we've ever done it before. Hey, hey Tom, there's one way to, to handle that. That's having yeah. a, an eight-team playoff instead of a four-team. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Count uh, me in. Sign me up. Where do I sign? But, but forgive me for applying logic to an illogical <laughs> situation. Tom? Okay by me. I'm ready this yeah. year, last year, any year. I'm ready any to go. Any year, yep. Tom? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you're talking about BYU and Cincinnati. BYU's next game is the 21st against North Alabama. I once did a Division II national championship game in 1995 in Florence when North Alabama was playing. So, I mean, you, you'll probably get into, if it gets to that point in, in a decision-making process with those teams and, you know, look at Coastal Carolina, what they've been able to do, even even your thundering herd, Dan, from what, one semester Marshall down there, but may come down to – uh, strength of schedule and things like that. If it came down to those, and I think at this point, 
Cincinnati would have probably a better opportunity to maybe make a leap than any of those other ones. Yeah, and, and I think as a starting point, Alabama and Ohio State are in the best positions. Alabama because they're just so darn good. Ohio State because they're not quite that good, but really good in a league that does not offer as many hurdles as the SEC does. After those two, I still think Clemson has the best road to ending up in yet another Final Four under Dabo Sweeney. I mean, we almost expect the Tigers to be there at this point. Um, and, and I believe they're the better team and, than anybody on their schedule remaining, including the hypothetical rematch against Notre Dame. So um, I, I, I can't say I'd be shocked, but I would be a little bit surprised if three of the Final Four were not teams we're used to seeing there in Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And then, uh, you know, who's next is going to be one heck of a crazy debate where, yes, strength of schedule matters. If you lost, what was the caliber of that loss, right? How, how good was the team that beat you and how badly did they beat you? And were you at full strength, uh, as, as in the case of Clemson losing at Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. All the usual things. What are your best wins? Dissect your loss to the nth degree. I think that is the same. But that microscope is being applied to, to weird-looking resumes this year, and, and I just don't know how that part's going to shake out. Clemson, by the way, off this week, and then in two weeks at Florida State, uh, continuing to struggle Seminoles program, and Clemson will have uh, basically two weeks to get healthy for that game. So we can look ahead to that. Let's flip it to some basketball stuff, Dave, uh, very quick. Uh, very quickly, the uh, all ACC ballots were due. You had a chance to vote on that. Uh, what, what's that going to look like? Yeah, um, for those who have been in football mode, one thing to remember is that not only is Virginia going to be really, really good again, and we're used to hearing Duke and Carolina are going to be really good, and anybody expecting the Tar Heels to be bad for the second year in a row uh, that might be wishful thinking for the Tar Heel haters out there. So we're used to, at this point in the Tony Bennett era at UVA, thinking of the Cavs, the Devils, and the Heels as sort of the pace setters. But one wrinkle is that Virginia has, you know, usually we think of five-star freshmen and then the best returning players in the league. Virginia has a transfer named uh, from Marquette named Sam Hauser, who sat out last year. You know, in a world with, uh, filled with immediately eligible transfers in modern college sports, this guy was the traditional sit-out, learn the system, redshirt essentially, and now he's eligible as a senior and, a, and, a, and an old senior after being a really good player at Marquette. He's a first-team All-ACC candidate that you're adding to, you know, a veteran point guard in Kihei Clark and a veteran big man in Jay Huff and some quality incoming freshmen. So for those who still resist thinking of UVA in similar terms that they think of Duke and Carolina. I think you got to put that to rest because, you know, these are not your dad's Cavaliers or your granddad's Cavaliers. And to me, those three teams as usual are the starting point, which for what should be not only a good at the top ACC, but, you know, I think Syracuse is going to be good. Florida state is going to be good. Louisville could be good. Jeff Capel will have his best team at Pitt. Uh, with Amir Sims staying at Clemson, I think they have a chance to be an NCAA tournament team, the Tigers. So, man, it's going to be fun. It's going to be not only like football's Clemson and Notre Dame at the top and then a big drop. It's going to be at least three teams at the top in basketball in the ACC. And then I would argue another half dozen at least that have legitimate beliefs that they can turn themselves into NCAA tournament teams. Normally this year, that well, it would have happened previously, but uh, Operation Basketball gets people's blood flowing around the Atlantic Coast Conference. It's going to be done virtually this time, and people like you, Dave, just going to be playing the role of bystander from what you were telling me. Well, when I got the offer from my childhood friends in Philadelphia to go to Myrtle Beach, and I looked at my calendar, you know, it says Operation Basketball, which, as in other years, is a two-day event. Well, I knew it was virtual this year, and that's very different. But then when I dove into the details, I realized that, you know, the two-hour access, two hours, I believe, on Wednesday and two more on Thursday, I thought it was going to be Zoom style, the way a lot of these coaches and players have done press conferences over these last few months. It is going to be a format 
where not only do I not have to be there physically, which is okay by me during a pandemic, but only ACC network media members are going to be permitted to ask questions of these coaches and star players. So from my perspective, clicking on a recording of that two hours the day after is the same as participating in those two hours if you're not allowed to ask questions. And, you know, as a guy who's had Mike Krzyzewski sitting across the table from me, probably for 20 plus years running, Roy Williams sitting across the table from me, Tony Bennett uh, is a guy I've gotten to know really well. We look forward to seeing each other in person every year. It's a massive adjustment to not have those in-person exchanges that can help build relationships between media and coaches. Uh, But it's an even bigger adjustment to know rather than I used to spend days coming up with what I hoped were received as intelligent questions. As (laughs) these guys had to go through the car wash of interviews, my goal was always, man, if you guys are tired of the same old questions, I'm going to try to hit you with at least a couple where your eyes light up and you're like, man, I'm glad I sat down at DG's table this year. And, you know, I'm disappointed that I don't have to come up with those questions this year. I mean, I I might have them in an interview in a different setting, but it is wildly different when essentially people like you guys and I have the same seat as the rest of America. And I, and there's only a few who get to ask the questions. And that's just, uh, you know, it's just this. I understand why it has to be this way, but it's disappointing. Tom, final thoughts for Dave? Yeah, I was going to say, what what's that like, uh, Dave, when you, you go to one of those and you want to talk to him, everybody else wants to talk to him. How do you have an opportunity to do that? And how does somebody else get a chance to visit with him as well? You mean in previous years? Yes. Yeah, in, in the typical format, you have to work through the league office because the ACC is conducting Operation Basketball or Operation Football, same kind of concept. And then you you do, for example, I mean, and I, I am not, I, I, I am completely speaking from the heart when I say this. I'm a state of North Carolina broadcaster who somebody like Brad Brownell and his handlers have always told the ACC office, I want one of my sit-down interviews on Radio Row to be with David Glenn. Dabo Sweeney and his handlers, they don't have to, they don't have to treat me well. You know, they don't have to go out of their way. And they would tell the ACC office, Dabo only has – now remember, there are other venues besides Radio Row. But when yeah. you come on Radio Row – that coach may have only 30 minutes on Radio Row. So that coach and his handlers may tell the ACC office, we only have time for three eight-minute stops on Radio Row. And, you know, I'm 34 years into this stuff, and all these guys have been on my show, and it is incredibly refreshing to me, and I think you guys can identify as kindred spirits on this. It's incredibly refreshing to me that these coaches and their handlers remember that they had positive experiences as a phone guest on my show over the years. So that when Operation Basketball comes up or Operation Football, they say, you know, that Glenn guy was fair. He was interesting. We had some fun. And I've built that reputation over 34 years or however long they've been in their chair. And we all want, we always want to believe that stuff like that matters. And it might only be a couple times a year that it feels like it matters, but when Dabo's chasing a national title and he says yes uh, to, to a phone interview or the in-person, or when Brad Brownell has 100 requests and he says yes to this guy up in North Carolina, man, I just I appreciate that because it is, it is a reflection that folks are paying attention and differentiating and, and treating those who are acting like professionals uh, in a professional way in an industry that, as you guys know, has plenty of other professionals beyond the three of us, but also has a lot of circus sideshows and clowns and gotcha-type journalists. I say that journalists in air quotes. And you'd hope coaches and their handlers would differentiate among those folks. And in my experience, that's what most of them do. When he said clowns, Tom, I thought he was actually coming at us, but but he he went into a little further detail. <laughs> hey, I'm there. part clown. You can be hey, part clown, just don't be mostly clown. As long as he doesn't play that music, send in the clown. <laughs> Benny Hill, here we go. Yeah, exactly. Go. All right, Dave, uh, tell folks how they can follow more of what you do on a regular basis. You can follow me later this week on the best golf courses in Myrtle Beach. No. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at David Glenn Show. Always, of course, check out 
the website and magazine we created way back in 1994. That's accsports.com. And as Dan was kind to mention, we are over 1 million subscribers worldwide at The Athletic. Uh, and my stuff appears at the subsite as well, The Athletic Carolina. So we hope folks will check all those things out. Sounds good. As always, uh, good to have you. We'll look forward to doing it again next week. Great to be with you guys. Have a great week. Back, have a good one, Dave. Back to put a wrap on it in just a moment. Don't go away. All right, we are back to put a wrap on things on this hybrid edition of the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters. It's kind of the way it's going to be moving forward, try to find a way to make it a little more of a seamless uh, transition or, or dual broadcast or whatever, but you kind of get the gist of things. We appreciate our listeners on WZLA down in Abbeville, and the show, of course, will be archived uh, on the danscottshow.com, the danscottshow.com, and uh, the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast version will be available wherever podcasts are found on uh, iTunes and uh, it's normally would say Google Play, but that's kind of gone away. YouTube now and uh, Spotify and uh, iHeart and just about every place you can find a podcast, Grumpy Old Broadcasters is available. We'll be back with you again next week. We'll do it all over again. Hopefully, Cobb Oxford will be joining us. Hopefully, Dory will be feeling better. She'll be joining us. And, of course, Dave Glenn will be along with Tom and I as well. And we will uh, see what we can come up with for uh, entertainment and informational purposes one week from today. Podcast is going to start kicking it into high gear. We look forward to having you on board for all of it. Brought to you, by the way, by our friends again at Todaro Pizza. Todaropizza.com is the website. Thanks to John for continuing to, to stand by us and uh, check them out. Facebook page, website, Markley Street in downtown Greenville on the West End, just down from Floor Field. Fantastic pizza, all kinds of great food, even better people. And I've known them for almost 20 years. I can tell you. We're talking about some good, good folks. That's it. We will be back with you again next time. Until then, for Tom and Dave and everybody else, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you. So long, everybody, on WZLA. Lee Collins is coming up next.